The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 216. Or you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube. Today is Sunday, November 8th. Five days removed from the presidential election, which just ended yesterday for whatever reason. Um, I recall the same sort of thing happened back in 2000. Um, there was just such a delay with counting the votes. Um, you would think we'd have a better system by now, but uh, human error is going to human error uh, until the end of time, uh, until we're replaced by robots. So in any case, congratulations to President-elect Joe Biden. Um, you know, hopefully he's able to stand good with a lot of the, the promises he's made and things he said he's going to do. And uh, it'll be best for everybody. I, I'm, I'm big on like whether or not you like the person who made it to office, you can't root for them to fail because then we're failing as a country. The leader is failing. So you got to stand behind whoever's in there. So I hope we're all going to be able to do that. Um, in any case, you guys don't want to hear about politics from me. Like I said, it, it, if you're coming to me for political opinions, then, um, yeah, we're all definitely well fucked. Uh, all right. So uh, Veterans Day coming up in a few days. So I'll take this opportunity to thank all the brave men and women who uh, you know, put it all on the line to serve our country. Um, as always, we're, we're very appreciative of, of our veterans here on MMA on the Rocks. And um, I hope I hope you all have a very relaxing Veterans Day and, and have other people thanking you for your service as well, uh, as people rightfully should. All right. So uh, as you guys heard last week, uh, I'm just getting back from vacation. Got back late last night, drove like six hours um, and with a toddler, which works out to be like nine hours. And, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't fun. So I was pretty tired yesterday. I wound up falling asleep before the main event, so I had to watch it this morning. Luckily, I was able to avoid spoilers. I like the way ESPN Plus does it now, uh, where they just kind of – they don't have a headline uh, when you open the app, at least on the TV app anyway. And um, you're able to just watch per fight. So I had to rewatch the end of the Arlovsky fight. And I had to watch the the main event, and luckily I was able to do so without any spoilers. But um, I had a cool trip. I drove up to a town in Georgia called Helen, and it's a Bavarian town. So lots of really good uh, German food, German beers. Um, it, it, it's a bit of a touristy town, but we stayed in a cabin outside of town, like far away from everything. Um and it was pretty quiet anyway, because it's off peak season there. So that that's when I prefer to go to places like that. 
good good food, great beer. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, a lot of you saw my Instagram story and, and stuff on Twitter. Just spent a lot of time sitting by a campfire, smoking cigars, drinking good whiskey. Um, you, you know, I can't ask for a better vacation than that. Uh, it was a little chilly up there in the mountains, uh, which I don't get to experience too much living here in Florida. I got back here. It was like 80 degrees at night <laughs> when I pulled into Florida last night. Um, so I was like, uh, getting up into the mountains, especially now, right when the, right, right when the weather's starting to change. And then on our way back, we stayed in the middle of nowhere, continued to stay unplugged because I didn't want to watch any of the nonsense going on with the election. Um, because I'm of the feeling like I, I voted, I did my part, put, I put my ballot in on time. Um, whatever happens after that is, is what happens after that. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be affected by it either way. And I don't need a bunch of people on social media trying to explain to me what's going on when they have no clue what they're talking about. Um, I do enough of that myself here on this show. So I don't need other people explaining things to me that they know nothing about because I know all about explaining to people things that I know nothing about. All right. So thank you very much, but keep it to yourself. I don't want to talk to you about the election. Uh, so, uh, Danville, Georgia, we stopped in. There is nothing in Danville, Georgia. When I tell you there's nothing, you have to drive like 30 minutes to find a grocery store. Um, so we wound up staying on a farm in a tiny house, 10 acre farm, cool, tiny house. And, uh, the first night we were there, we met the owner and he brought me into his shop. He actually manufactures the tiny homes there. Uh, Hummingbird Tiny Homes, LLC, uh, in case anybody's in the market for a tiny home. He builds them and delivers them all over the country. And uh, he had, I think, five or six of them on the property. He had two more in the works, and they were really cool. Um, he, he brought me and showed me the ones that he was working on. And um, one of them was 497 square feet. So 500 square feet is the maximum allowed to still be considered a tiny home. So he, he managed to come within three feet of that. It had like expandable sides, um, you, you know, like a mobile home. It was really cool. Um, it, it, that one had a lot of space and he was running like surround sound through the whole thing. He was like really tripping it out. Um, th this guy's been on TV. He's been on like uh, a lot of those tiny home shows. I don't think the Netflix one, but like HGTV and stuff like that. Uh, Tom was his name. So for the 500 square foot one, I asked him like, what's the turnaround time on this? And he's like, well, this one's a special case because the lady's not in a hurry for it. And I can't bring it to her yet because it's all the way in Montana. He's like, so this one took about six months. I was like, holy shit, you built this whole house in, in six months. And this is the one that's not a rush. And he told me like the regular size ones, he can bang them out in two months. I was like, well, you must have a huge crew or something. He's like, no, it's just me and one other guy. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, it takes me two months to put together a fucking Ikea bookshelf. This guy is building an entire tiny house, um, you, you know, plumbing and welding and everything. He says the only thing he doesn't custom make is the trailers that they sit on. Um, he, he custom orders those uh, to the dimensions he needs and then builds around it. And he said he's never built two the same. He also told me he was in the process of building two tiny homes out of grain silos. Um, so he's going to build, 
houses into those, I guess, insulate them and put stairs in them. And then he said he was trying to acquire the property next to him and he was going to build a three story handicap accessible tree house that would have an elevator in it. Um, so this guy is just some kind of like tiny home mad scientist that lives out in the middle of nowhere on a beautiful farm. He had uh, horses and donkeys and pig and cats running around a little koi pond. Uh, so my daughter had a blast being on this property. She would just walk around, talk to the animals. Uh, she got to feed a few of them. And I had a blast talking to this guy uh, about his tiny home projects. So, of course, I got home and my wife had a whole list of renovation ideas for our house. So uh, that's what I'll be occupied with for the next decade or so, um, starting with a laundry room renovation. So that'll be fun. And uh, I'll be going through a lot of bourbon during that time. But shout out to Tom and uh and his wife denise for hosting us and uh showing us around their their tiny homes that's uh hummingbird tiny homes llc if you want to look them up they have a cool uh website and stuff that you can see the, the property and everything like that and um yeah it was cool and uh, another shout out to our sponsor uh team reaper reaper1.co if you guys want to get a hold of some mma on the rocks t-shirts or hoodies um Getting to be chilly outside, so it's hoodie season. Go grab yourself a hoodie from them. I'll also put the link in the show notes, but it's Team Reaper. Uh, I mean, Reaper1, the number one, dot .co. Not, not .com, dot .co. And if you don't want an MMA on the Rock shirt, uh, go and um, you can go on their website and, and support a local fighter. Uh, they, they give $10 from every shirt uh, directly to the fighter, which is uh, a lot better. And I hear, um, you know, most sponsorship deals get. So if you're one of these people who say like the fighter should be paid more, um, then you can go sponsor a fighter because it gets expensive to pay for training, food, everything like that. All right. Now, let me have that out of the way. I'm drinking four roses single barrel for this episode. Um, this was a gift from my in-laws birthday gift uh, a few weeks ago. So finally got a chance to crack that open really nice hundred proof, uh, big burn on the back end. Uh, even I had to put a little water in it and I drink a lot of whiskey, but, uh, once it kind of breathes and mellows out, very good, very like rich caramel flavor and the way it, it kind of burns off your tongue, it leaves behind like a nice sweetness. You kind of smack to the roof of your mouth. Very delicious single barrel. Four roses. Make great stuff. Four roses does. All right. Let's talk about some fights, shall we? Obviously, if you haven't figured it out by now, Jeff the Animal Wilson is uh, back on hiatus, at least for this week. Um, I, I'll never know what's going on with that guy till the day of. And, and, you know, we'll all be surprised together. You know, I'll find out, and you guys will find out 10 minutes later when I hit record. All right. Let's talk some fights. UFC on ESPN 17, Glover Teixeira and Tiago Santos. I told you guys last week, man, you cannot count out Glover Teixeira. This guy is just as tough as they come. Oh, what a win streak he's on. Carl Roberson, Elon Kutilaba, both of those finishes. Nikita Krylov, 
that was a decision. Finish Anthony Smith, finish Tiago Santos. Um, two guys that John Jones couldn't finish, for the record. Um, the, the first round was interesting because Teixeira got rocked bad, um, and, and he had to get the fight to the ground, which he did, and then he controlled the whole rest of the round. So he had like four minutes of control time in that first round, but he almost got finished in the first minute. Um, so I, I would argue that round was a draw four minutes of control time on the ground versus almost getting knocked out. I feel like they kind of balance out. I wouldn't know who to score it for really. Um, because who was closer to getting finished Glover was, um, but who controlled a majority of the round Glover did. Uh, and it's not like he was just laying on him. Like he was, he was tenderizing him on the ground too. Um, Glover looked a little lost on the feet in the beginning. He was falling for a lot of Santos's feints. I think as soon as he felt uh, the power that Santos had, um, he was really flinching hard on those feints. Uh, but he just kept his head moving, kept his footwork in line, and, and hit some beautiful takedowns, like especially the double leg he hit in the second round where he disguised it with the overhand right. Um, it, that was perfect because he got – he got Santos to shell up, and then he was right in on the legs and got him down. Um, at third round, the round that the finish came, uh, Santos dropped him, and then he was on top of him. And Teixeira is so good in the scrambles, man. He scrambles like a lightweight. Um, he, the, the way he he moves positions is is really unheard of for this size because usually – the, the bigger the fighters, like once they get into a certain position, they, they tend to stay there. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of reversals and sweeps and things like that uh, from middleweight up. You know, middleweight, you'll see, you'll see scrambles uh, sometimes. Um, you know, like the Gastelum, Jack Hermanson fight. Uh, you'll see like little scrambles like that. But for the most part, middleweight and up, you're not seeing a lot of scrambling. Um and, and Teixeira is a master of that, uh, in addition to uh, being able to weather the storm, man. And he did it against Anthony Smith. He almost got finished in that fight, too. And he came back and knocked Anthony Smith's teeth out of his mouth and, and gave him one of the most thorough beatings we've seen in the light heavyweight division in a long time. Um, and, and I don't just mean because he finished him. I mean, like, the actual act of beating him up. Like, that was that was really bad. Like, remember everybody was talking about how the corner th should have thrown in the towel, the ref should have stopped it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, anyway, Tiago Santos winds up on top in that third round. And when Teixeira scrambles and kind of transitions to a rear body lock and drags Santos down, you could tell Santos was done after that. Because he thought he was going to finish him. He used everything he had in the tank to try and put him away. And as soon as he got the position reversed, you could see the life leave him. Uh, you know, he took a few more punches, didn't even really uh, try to roll back over. And and then Teixeira got the choke in. And he already knew what the choke felt like because he almost got finished with it at the end of the second round, which uh, Glover dominated that whole second round. So, Glover Teixeira, man, what can you say? Uh, the, the guy defies all odds. Uh, you know, a lot of people were thinking he was going to get in there and just get hammered by Santos. Despite Santos, like, 
you never know what kind of shape he was going to come back in because his knees were all torn up the last time he fought a year and a half ago. I think he tore both of his ACLs and, and probably some other things that, that took a long time to rehab uh, and to get back in fight shape. I mean, he looked good. He, he's not, he's not huge for that division. Um, remember he used to fight at middleweight, which is 20 pounds lighter. Um, but he did look like he was carrying some extra muscle. So like maybe he was lifting a lot of weights, upper body weights, um, while his legs were healing. I don't know. Um, he looked good, but <clears throat> yeah, just, uh, after that first round, just kind of blew all of his energy out. Um, and to share coming away with the submission win and, um, he, he just looked so good on the ground, just so dominant. His wrestling was so good. Um, I, I can't stress enough how impressed I was with Clover Teixeira. I'm glad I waited until this morning to watch it too. Um, I wound up sitting watching it with my daughter on the couch, and the the first time Glover got dropped, I, I'm just watching the fights. I don't really react much, but my my daughter goes, "Oh!" <laughs> like she knew how to react when one guy got hit, um, which I thought was pretty cool that she kind of pieced that together. Um, yeah. So to I think you got to give him the title shot. Um, you know, there's, there's been rumblings of Adesanya wants to move up and challenge Jan Blahovich. Um, I, I'm not that interested in that fight. I would, I would love to see to and Blahovich. Um, and I feel like, you know, if Teixeira wins the belt, he's going to retire. Uh, maybe he'll defend it once, maybe. But he's, what, 40, 41 years old? Um, you got to think he's looking to hang him up soon. Uh, he said so many times this is his last run for a title. Um, w without John Jones there, uh, this is the opportunity. Uh, I like the Yan fight. Um, I, I'd have to favor Yan in that fight just because he's been on such a hot streak. He's got so much momentum, but to share a man, you, you can't count that dude out. Uh, if you just look at, look at his accomplishments. So his last loss was a decision to Corey Anderson, the knockout uh, loss to Gustafson, but that was a great fight. Uh, and, and that came in the fifth round. Um, I, I wouldn't even count the knockout to Anthony Johnson. Cause he got kind of flash knockout. Uh, in the uh, in the beginning, but yeah, he, he's knocked out Misha Serkinov. Uh, he's got a win over Jared Cannonier. He knocked out Rashad Evans. He knocked out Patrick Cummings. He submitted Ovin St. Preux. Knocked out Ryan Bader. Submitted James Tahuna. Uh, he beat Rampage. Uh, he knocked out Marvin Eastman. Oh, the guy's just been fighting forever. Looking at his record here, 2002, his first fight. Give him the title shot. Come on. Who else wants to see that? You guys want to see Glover fight for the title, don't you? I would much rather see him get that opportunity than Adesanya get the opportunity to move up. Um, I, I definitely do want to see that eventually, but it's too soon. I'd like to see him uh, take on the winner of the Jack Hermanson fight, which... For those who haven't heard, Darren Till pulled out of the fight with Jack Hermanson. I think that one's December 12th. Um, and Kevin Holland stepped in. So credit to Kevin Holland 
uh, for stepping up in competition so much. Uh, he's going from fighting guys who are who've just come into the UFC, like two or three fights, you know, similar to his experience to fighting a guy who's arguably the number one contender right now. And credit to Jack Hermanson for taking that fight because Kevin Holland's not even a ranked opponent. Um, you know, he had a marquee fight against Darren Till. Till couldn't do it, but Hermanson was determined to take another fight before the end of the year. So you have to respect that. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Adesanya uh, fight the winner of that fight, even if it's Kevin Holland. If Kevin Holland pulls that upset, he's got history with Adesanya. They had some kind of run-in in Vegas a while back. They, you know, there's a built-in story there. Um I think if Kevin Holland beats Jack Hermanson, yeah, he can jump the line and fight for the title, sure. But I want to see Teixeira get the shot uh, against Blahovich. And, um, yeah, fun times. All right, co-main event. Andre Olovsky getting a unanimous decision over Tanner Bozer. This fight was pretty easy for me to score. I think a lot of people thought it was close. And I, you guys know I usually listen to the fight without the announcing on just because I don't like it to interrupt what I'm thinking about and what I want to say about the fights. But I did have the commentary on for this, and I heard uh, Anik and and uh, Dominic Cruz kind of insinuating that Arlovsky needs to pull the trigger more, and he's too experienced to be kind of laying back like this. But, um, you know, I saw him fighting a patient fight against a dangerous young fighter and landing the bigger shots. The first round I scored a draw. I scored it nine to nine. I thought nobody won that round because nothing really happened. And uh, two and three, I thought were were clear for Arlovsky. Um, I, I don't think Bozer amounted any kind of offense really. Um, Arlovsky landed some big shots on him, and yeah, they weren't like huge knockout shots. And um, I, I get the criticism of, of telling him to pull the trigger, but when you're in there with a guy who's so much younger and faster, um, you know, you're kind of relying on your power and, and Arlovsky's a counter striker and, and he was still moving forward for most of the fight. Um, you know, Bozer wasn't engaging. Um, so Arlovsky just had to kind of control the action and, and that's what he did. And he got the win. What I would like to see is Arlovsky kind of diversify his attacks a little bit more. Um, you know, because when he first came on the scene man, he was submitting people, he had some nasty leg locks. Uh, I'd like to see him go back to some of that. And, and granted he, he utilized that stuff when he was going against bigger guys that maybe he didn't want to stand with, but you know, he's got those skills and he's kind of evolved into being basically just a boxer. Um, you know, he likes to throw his hands. He likes to get those big knockouts with his hands, but, um, yeah, I would like to see him mix it up a little more, but I don't have a problem with him fighting a patient fight um, to, to get the win over a young lion like Tanner Bozer. Um, I think Bozer froze in there a little bit because maybe he realized like, oh man, I'm in here with Andre Arlovsky. Uh, kind of similar to what Anderson um, Uriah Hall did last week in the, in the beginning rounds against Anderson Silva. And maybe if this was a five-round fight, Bozer would have snapped out of it um, like Uriah Hall did and, and turned it up on Arlovsky, but that we'll never know. Uh, Heoni Barcelos getting unanimous decision over Khalid Taha. And, uh, this is a dominant performance in my opinion. I don't know if a one fight of the night, but it damn well should have, 
Um, it, you know, Taha took a beating. Uh, Barcelos was was throwing everything at him, but the kitchen sink. Beautiful combinations from from both guys. Great defense, great footwork. They fought at an incredible pace. This is a really fun fight. Uh, a lot of bantamweights chiming in, saying that they have their eye on on both of these guys now. The the number one contender, Aljamain Sterling, amongst them, of course. That was a that was a fun fight, uh, and and Barcelos, uh, you know, proved that. He, he can probably be a problem. I saw some comparisons to a young Jose Aldo, and, uh, you know, I'm not mad at that. I think that's fair. Giga Chikadze um, did pretty much what we expected him to do against a newcomer, James Krause Simmons. Uh, yeah, man, he just he just straight measured this guy for a head kick for, for three and a half minutes and, and then delivered it. You know, he, he tailored it for him, took his measurements. He, he, he read his defenses, um, you know, uh, kept the feet, kept the fight standing uh, like he needed to do. And he just showed so much experience, man. He was able to freeze Simmons in there a couple of times. Uh, and then he threw that kick to the body, that switch kick to the body. And then as soon as Simmons dropped his hands, which of course you do when you're hurt to your body, uh, he threw the head kick, and it, it was just so calculated, so brutal. Uh, and he asked for a co-main event in his next fight, and that's smart. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, come off a knockout like this, and they'll call out the champ, or they'll call out some fight that's, like, not even going to happen. He's like, I want my next fight to be a co-main event at least. And he said it right to Dana White, and Dana said, we'll make it happen. And I think that's the smartest thing you could do. And he repeated himself in the post-fight interview, and then he had a name on the tip of his tongue. He wanted uh, Jeremy Stevens or uh, it was somebody else, somebody else he But, hey, I want Jeremy Stevens in a co-main event. How do you say no to that, um, especially after he's coming off such a spectacular head kick knockout? Uh, Chikadze, for those who don't know, very uh, credentialed kickboxer. Um, I... I would be curious to see what happens when we see him tested against somebody with some grappling. You know, they say Simmons ha has a, a grappling. He's got a few submission wins, but the guy only had like eight fights. He took this on short notice. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him tested in there. It looks like he has some good takedown defense. I would like to see uh, how he looks when he's pressured and, and how he fights off his back and, and things like that, but a uh, bright future for Giga Chikadze and a smart request after getting a head kick knockout in spectacular fashion. He has to be a co-main event. I'd say okay, but I'm not writing the checks. Zionan Yan uh, getting the unanimous decision over Claudia Gedalia. Uh, I think everybody probably scored this one the same. Gedalia looked good in that first round. Uh, her, you know, her patented takedowns, but it seemed like she really kind of gassed and. And not not even so much that she gasped, but she was just stifled by Jan, who was able to adapt in the second and third round. She was able to keep Gedalia at a distance uh, with her jab and her speed and her footwork. And she realized if she let Gedalia close the distance, she was going to get taken down because she's such a strong wrestler. Great takedowns Gedalia has. Uh, you know, probably the best wrestler uh, in that division. Uh Unless Tatiana Suarez is a 
is a straw weight. Somebody correct me on that. If she is, then she's got the best wrestling. Cheers, New York. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think it it wasn't so much Gadelia getting tired as it was Jan adjusting and being able to stifle her and keep her at a distance. I think that was really the key to victory there. Um, and she was just so much faster. Just, you know, Gadelia would try and counter shots and Jan would already be gone. You know, she was just, she was just punching at a dust cloud in the shape of Jan. Uh, so that was that fight. And then uh, another good fight, very back and forth until the end, Trevin Giles over Bevon Lewis. Um, it, this was a case of just Giles wanted it more, man. He, you know, it, it got to the third round, and he kind of knew he was down, and it, his corner told him, like, you got to go out there and finish it. And that's what he did. Gets a third-round TKO. Uh, he looked good. Credit to Trevin Giles. Alexander Romanoff, uh, the technical submission over Marcos Rogerio de Lima. This was a really interesting submission. Um, he had one arm wrapped up. He had a gable grip right next to de Lima's ear. And then he had his forearm across the neck. And DeLima stayed flat on his back, and Romanoff just kind of rolled all his weight onto the forearm. And he was actually, I'm not surprised that he got the submission, but he was able to put DeLima unconscious. Um, and I guess when you have a 265-pound man putting all of his weight on your carotid artery, I guess that would uh, that would put anybody to sleep. Um, but, man, what a, what a grappler. Um, it called out. Marcin Tabora afterwards. I think that's a fun fight. I would love to see maybe down the line. I don't know how far down the line we can do it, but uh, Romanov against Alexei Olenek, I think would be a really fun fight. You know, battle of the obscure stranglers. Um, I would love that. Um, any fan of grappling, I think would love to see that fight. Of course, uh, we'd probably see a stand-up war with those two uh, if they were to fight, but uh, that's on my wish list. Darren Elkins, third round submission victory over Luis Guardo, Garrett Gorey. It's not a Darren Elkins fight unless he's covered in his own blood. So, I mean, he gets the victory here, but uh, a lot of people were talking about, you know, his post-fight his, his post -fight interview and just the way he was talking. Uh, you know, that guy's been in so many wars. It, it's clear he's taken... He's taking some damage. Uh, he sounded like Gordon from Dodgeball while he was talking. You know, the guy, the, the little guy with the glasses who's always bugging Vince Vaughn. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go hammer my glutes. Uh, <laughs> the guy that recommended it, we, we could play Dodgeball. It's on ESPN 8, the Ocho. Uh, I don't know why, but he just reminded me of that guy when he was talking and um, uh, there were more comments on his post fight speech uh, than the fight. You know, I think if you're a fan of Darren Elkins, like you can't like, even when he's winning fights, like the guy is taking a beating, you know, probably the most famous fight was the one against Mursad Bektik where he was just getting trounced the entire time, just completely dominated, came back out of nowhere and won the fight. Um, 
but yeah, if you're concerned for that guy's health, uh, you probably don't want him fighting too much longer. And he said that you know, he's talked it over with his wife, and I guess they have a plan, like an exit strategy. Um, but the problem is you, you can't put him against worse fighters. you got to put him against better fighters. And, it, and his whole thing is being able to take a beating and come back from it. Um, when you have better guys beating you up, especially in a, in a division that's this stacked, um, you know, when does it become too much? Not for me to say. Um, you know, maybe he's fine. Maybe he's always kind of talked a little weird. Um, and I just never noticed it before. But, you know, that that's for the people closest to him to, to help him get to that decision. But, you know, great win in any case. Use that modified grip on the rear naked choke, which I'm a huge fan of. I think it's very underutilized. Um, Tashera went for that. Uh, I believe in the first round, he tried to go for that modified grip, but it slipped off the side. I don't know. He, he transitioned it in the second round. He had the modified grip, and he transitioned to the traditional grip where he had the hand on the top of the head, pushing the head forward. All right, probably the most talked about fight on the card, um, on the undercard anyway, had to be Max Griffin and uh, Hamiz Brahimaj. So Griffin was controlling this entire fight. It was very one-sided. It was a very Max Griffin-style fight. Stick and move, uh, frustrate your opponent, stick to jab in the face whenever they get close. Um and don't let them mount any offense. This is what Max Griffin is known for. Till the third round, he hits him with a straight right in the ear. And I guess, Brahimaj, what happened here, I'm sure you've all seen the picture by now of Brahimaj's ear hanging off, which is why Mark Smith had to had to call a, a, a doctor stoppage there. I guess he had so much cauliflower ear that it was weighing his ear down. And it puts a lot of tension on the tissue that's holding your ear to your head, which if you feel it, is very thin tissue there. Uh, so probably the weight of the cauliflower ear combined with the impact from Max Griffin's fist caused that to rip. And then Griffin stepped in and elbowed it, and, and it just sliced it the rest of the way, and his ear was just dangling off of his face. Um, it looked like... And I'll give Mark Fellows credit for this reference. It looked like Reservoir Dogs uh, when uh, Michael Madsen cuts off the guy's ear and uh, and then pours gasoline on him. Classic scene in cinema, I must say. Marvin Nash was the cop he was torturing. So, I don't know. Brahimaj's new nickname might have to be Marvin Nash. After that. And, and for those who don't understand why the cauliflower ear might be so heavy. So the way you develop cauliflower ear. And I've explained this a few times on this show. But uh, I always like to reiterate. Because uh, I know a lot of people tune in who are not. Don't follow sport very closely or don't, don't train. So what happens is because of friction or blows to the ear. Your ear is made up of all cartilage. Uh, so there's, there's pockets of air in there. And what will happen is 
if the cartilage rubs together, it causes a little pocket to form that fills up with blood. Now you can either drain the blood out and the ear, the swelling in the ear will go down and you just have to wear a headgear, little ice and Motrin for a few weeks and then um, it, it'll go back to normal. But if you leave it there and you continue to grapple and have friction against it and stuff, it will calcify. So it will basically turn to bone. Uh, it, gets, it gets hard as a rock. I know it's hard to see. For those of you watching on Facebook and YouTube, it's hard to see. But on my ear, you can see like the little spots of hard bone in my ear. Um, yeah, most of the time when I've gotten cauliflower ear, I drained it. Ice and Motrin, um, and let the swelling go down, but it still forms like these little kind of rocks in your ear. Some guys like it. Some guys see it as like a badge of honor, like, oh, that guy's got cauliflower ear. I don't want to mess with him, but you know, for me, it's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not a professional fighter. I don't need to be, I don't need to be looking like, you know, I could kill gorillas with my bare hands. Uh, I'm just, I'm just a dad. I got a regular job. I don't need to be looking like that. So I drain mine. Anyway, that's why it, it could put a lot of weight on the ear because basically like having bone mass in your ear, that's only, it's only built to be holding up cartilage. So that's probably why it ripped so easily. But uh, credit to Max Griffin, man. That was a brutal TKO. Um, really fun. Uh, Really fun fight. I, I mean, you got to feel bad for Brahimaj there, but, um, you know, he'll be all right. Uh, that was his UFC debut, and he, and he was tough. He was, like, looking like, why is why is this actor stopping? I'm fine. And then he was like, oh, my ear's falling off. <laughs> yeah, we better get this. <laughs> we better get this stone back on. It's a good thing he wasn't in, in – uh, in like Abu Dhabi, I would be, I would be so nervous. At least you're right there in Vegas and you're like some American hospitals where you could feel, feel comfortable. Like who knows what they had on that Yaz Island. Like they probably had some doctors, but like you need a surgeon to fix something like that. You know, you got to sew your ear back on your face. Oh man, I wouldn't want some, some like fight Island EMT trying to sew my ear back on the guy's probably only done like probably only given stitches a hundred times in his life or something like you need it. You need a surgeon for that. You probably gotta be probably gotta be put out. I don't think a local anesthetic is even enough for that because they got to clean. That's gotta be sterilized everything. So luckily for him, it didn't happen on, on fight Island. It happened in Vegas where you're around, you know, some of the best surgeons in the country. Hey, case, great win for Max Griffin. Gustavo Lopez beats up his friend Anthony Burchak. First round submission. Uh, apparently, these guys were training partners or something, and they got matched up together. And they said, "Yeah, let's do it." And uh, Lopez just totally outclassed Burchak here. Um, he, he got the better of it on the feet, got him to the ground, uh, got the rear naked choke easily in the first round while they were dry. Um, so, I think probably once. He got into the ground. Burchak kind of knew it was over. Maybe he got his own in his own head a little bit, because uh, you know sometimes when you train with somebody and and you know they get the better of you in certain situations, like you kind of you kind of like mentally 
give up like all right they got me here um but unfortunately it wasn't in a training room that was in a fight and he got submitted and now he has a, a loss to his teammate on his record fun card overall uh for me it felt like the card was dragging because i was exhausted from traveling all day but um good fights really good fights a lot of finishes you know the only decisions were Orlovsky, Barcelos, but that fight was so exciting anyway. And um, and Jan. So yeah, cool card. And now we look ahead to next week, UFC Fight Night 182. Is that next week? Yeah, November 14th. All right. Back at the Apex. We'll take a quick look at this. All right, so Rafael Dos Anjos and Islam Makachev, the main event here. Uh, this is an interesting fight because obviously Dos Anjos has fought Makachev's mentor slash teammate, Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, and it did not go well for him. He got ragdolled in that fight by Habib. Um Dos Anjos, you know, is a guy who who really struggles with wrestlers. Uh, so this is going to be a problem. He is a legitimate black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but he's not like a submit you off your back kind of submit you off his back kind of black belt or a sweep you off his back kind of black belt. He's uh if he gets on top of you, you're in a lot of you're in a world of trouble kind of black belt, like an old school top pressure black belt. Um, so yeah, like in his last few fights, <clears throat> Michael Chiesa just too big. Um, it, you know, the, the wrestling was too strong there. Uh, Leon Edwards, it, you know, that fight didn't go his way either because he wasn't able to get Leon down. Then uh, he had the win over Kevin Lee, the loss to Usman, wrestler, lost to Covington, wrestler. Uh, and you go back and look at his last two losses, Tony Ferguson, wrestler, and Eddie Alvarez, uh, who's a wrestler, but, you know, was able to knock him out. Um, Makachev, his only loss, he has been knocked out. So I, I don't think we could say he is as dominant as Khabib, but obviously, uh, you know, they come from the same team. They train in the same room. Khabib is, has already anointed him basically the next – champion um yeah and uh it, it's gonna come down to can rda keep this on the feet and can he touch makachev's chin uh while he still has the gas to put him away uh i see that as the only path to victory for rda i don't think he's gonna take him down if he does manage to take him down i think he could submit him I think RDA has the jujitsu to submit Makachev if he gets on top of him, if and only if he gets on top of him. But um, yeah, RDA really struggles with the wrestlers, and it, it doesn't. You don't get uh, much better of a wrestler than a Dagestani wrestler who trains with Khabib. Um, so I think it's going to be a long night for RDA. It, you know. The, the only thing he has going for him is 
he has the five round experience and he knows what he's getting into because he's been in there with Khabib. So, you know, maybe his plan is to kind of weather the storm, survive on the bottom for three rounds or so. And then, um, that, you know, see if Makachev can swim in deep water and try and TKO him late in the fight. Um, but other than that, it might be 25 minutes of Makachev just uh, throwing RDA around, much like Khabib did. Abdul Razak Al Hassan and Kalen Williams in the uh, in the co-main event. Uh, this one should be an explosive fight. Uh, both of these guys have knockout power. Um, Williams is coming off of a knockout in his last fight. Uh, hasn't fought since before the pandemic, however. And Al Hassan, I believe. Hmm. I mean, we know this guy can throw. He he likes to. Yeah, ten wins all by knockout. But he's coming off a unanimous decision loss in his last fight um, against Munir Lazez. Um, and that was a great fight. So his only losses are decisions. So I guess if you're Williams, you're going to want to knock him out or take him to the judge's scorecard. Um, but Al Hassan, one of the most dangerous guys in the first round, for sure. The guy's got dynamite in his hand. So that's a fun fight. Julian Marquez, who I feel like we haven't seen in a while, and uh, Saperbeck Safarov. That's a fun fight. And let's see. Antonio Arroyo, who came off the Contender Series, uh, I believe season two. He's going to fight Eric Anders. That's a fun one to keep your eye on. Uh, Random Marcos and... Kanako Murata, who I'm not familiar with, but she's 11 and one. That that one I'm looking forward to. And uh, yeah, if I'm glossing over anything, let me know. But other than that, nothing really jumping off the page to me here. Uh, but these are the kind of cards where you know you don't think that that there's a lot of great matchups, and then they end up being the best cards. So we'll see. All right, folks. Well, if you wanna uh, get at uh, if you wanna get at the animal for missing the show this week, it's at animal underscore Wilson Twitter and Instagram. Or just go say hello. He always enjoys that. Uh, if you want an MMA on the rocks T-shirt, it's Reaper1.co T-shirt or hoodie. Uh, we got them both now. So go see our friends at Team Reaper. Uh, put the link in the show notes as well. And that's it. We're looking forward to the fight next week. Uh, should be back on schedule. I didn't know how the show was going to go this week because I, I didn't know if I'd be back or not. But here I am, solo. You guys get me solo this week. Uh, next week, who knows? You'll have to tune in to find out. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>